Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. Are you a small business owner who thinks they pay too much in taxes? We can help. Give us a call or book a meeting by clicking the link in the show notes to book a free financial consultation so you can have peace of mind about your financial future. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. If you're a business or HR leader and you're needing a competitive employee benefits package to help you retain and attract that top talent, we can help. Check us out to book a free consultation, create a customized benefits package that fits your business and budget. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, back at it again with my co-host, Al McDonald. Al, how's your day going so far? Well, always a great day on Podcast Friday and, of course, beginning of the weekend and it's supposed to be beautiful and I just got my bike back from the repair shop. So I'm looking, you know, it's almost like hopping onto a brand new bike when you get it back and I'm looking forward to uh, enjoying the weekend out on the back roads of Halton Hills. And coming up, Al, there's, I know we talked about it on the last episode, but at the timing of it, I think it's worth talking about again. So I have signed up once again for the third year running for the Great Cycle Challenge, which is in August, committed to ride 750 kilometers to raise money for kids with cancer. So I'll be on my bike even more in the month of August. All right. And as always, just a reminder, we have a, in the summertime, especially, we have a lot of our biking friends on the road. Just give them the room that they need. Go out of your way to do that because they're on a quite a small bike and we're in a big car or truck usually. So just give them the room that they need. Well, we're back and I'm super happy. Summer's a little more challenging for the podcast because at our company, we have summer hours which means we finish at one o'clock on Friday. So the podcast does take a little bit of a pause. We're back today, which I'm really happy about and kind of on a, I guess on a part-time basis and then full swing back in September. But I couldn't be more excited to chat with someone. Again, it's a wonderful introduction that we got to someone. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her before I do the introduction, and then we'll we'll get to uh, having our conversation. So joining us today is Jolene McDonald. Jolene is the founder of Accessibrand, Canada's first accessibility-focused design, marketing, and communications collective that have all lived experience with disability and inclusion. For over a decade, she has known that people with disabilities need a different work model to be able to give their full potential to the careers. Accessibrand is based on Jolene's 20 plus years of knowledge in the graphic design and marketing industry, as well as her 20 years as a successful entrepreneur and award-winning designer. Top that all off with her own personal disability experience and outcomes an innovative model for a design, marketing, and communications agency. Jolene is an advocate, wife, and mother of three. She has volunteered with Little People of Ontario, Rare Diseases Foundation, and sits on the Grand River Accessibility Advisory Committee and Canadian National Accessibility Committee. Welcome to the show, Jolene. Thank you, Robin. I know there's lots to read over there. I'm involved in many things. I'm happy to be here and meet you both. Very nice to have you. Happy to have you. Yes. And and sorry for stumbling through that introduction. There's all those C's and S's. and and Oh, there's so many. (laughs) No worries. And I'm going to do it again here. So here we go. 
I love to hear, because I know there's a story behind it, what motivated you to start Accessibrand? There's many things, but the biggest, I think, factor was the birth of my youngest daughter. So I have two girls and a boy. She's the last. And we found out while pregnant that she had some sort of medical conditions we didn't really know exactly until she was born. She wasn't diagnosed until she was two and a half years old. So you can imagine sort of that journey from during pregnancy to two and a half years. She has a rare form of dwarfism. I won't say the long version because it's harder than saying accessibility a million times, but it's called SED for short. It's basically a short torso type of dwarfism. She has sort of average or regular sized arms and legs, but a shorter torso, which affects her spine and the ends of her bones and her growth. So as she was sort of entering school, I obviously as a parent and mama bear became very upfront with trying to advocate for her needs. But as you mentioned, I've been a graphic designer for a long time and I was running another business with a partner previously. And when I found out that accessibility was more than physical and it was also digital, which then coincided with what I did for work, it was the epiphany that I had to make a lot of changes so we can help ensure that everybody has equitable access to all communications. And what was your background before you started Accessibrand? What were you doing for those many years? So I have been a graphic designer since 1996, I think it is. I don't want to date myself here, but anyways. And I worked in two other companies doing graphic design. I worked for municipal government. I worked for a pharmaceutical agency. Then I started my own design company with another business partner that was also a graphic designer. So essentially my entire career, I've always been a graphic designer. One of the things that I really love about doing these podcasts is not only are we meeting new people, but we're quite often meeting people who, you know, in my mind, it gives me a different lens, one that I would never have looked through because of my situation. And I think I'm already hearing things that I never would have thought of just in our short conversation that we've had already. So can you talk about, because again, it's something that I've never had to deal with and experience. Can you talk about digital accessibility and why is it important? And who is it for? So when people think of accessibility, they automatically think wheelchairs and ramps Mm -hmm. and push buttons. It's actually so much more than that. And if you don't know, you don't know. It's really that simple. A lot of it has come about because of in Canada and specifically in Ontario, we have the law, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. And one of those pieces is communications. And what people don't realize is that many people with varying different types of disabilities, can't access websites. So that's sort of like a top piece. They can access either parts of it or not all of it, or they cannot do things independently. So that is a big piece that most people don't know, because if, say, you're blind, for example, one of our lead auditors, Andrew, he's been blind for many years, he uses screen reader technology. So he can still access the internet and do all of those things and, for the most part, live independently if required if there weren't barriers. So that's what happens is that this technology or the software is doing the work for people. But if the website is encoded properly, or there's something not done correctly based on new learnings and practices with, you know, digital accessibility, then people can't access it. It's also, we live in a world of electronics, like PDFs and Word documents. Again, I'm using being blind is one of the biggest barriers because they're relying solely on technology to access the information. If we create PDFs and they're not coded properly 
or certain things that you can do in the program before you create a PDF, he also cannot access those things. So those are some, I'd say the easiest examples, but it goes far beyond that with people with vision impairment. Many people don't use a mouse or a keyboard if they have some sort of disability that causes the mobility issues. So there's quite a few pieces, but those are the easiest examples. So what would you say, and again, I'm going to think of ourselves and and myself, what would your advice be to someone running a business in order for them to, as you said before, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So I think there's many cases where people would never have even thought of this unless that was directly affecting them. Like what would be your advice to someone such as a business owner or someone interacting with clients, the public, whatever, that said like, hey, have you thought about people who can't access your website or your documents or whatever it is? What advice would you give them? I think the biggest thing that we talk to people about is that when they do realize, because obviously many people don't know, and it's not a bad thing. It's just until you have experienced it in your life, a lot of people don't know. It's the same for any sort of element is that once they are asking is have a review of sort of their practices or their materials that they're doing. Talk about the opportunity to reach a further demographic for potential sales opportunities. And to also think about the fact that disability is going to affect us all in our lifetime at some point or another, because there are several people I've met along the way that said, well, I don't have any customers that are disabled. Accessibility is not just for disabilities. It's for everybody at the end of the day. If you think about wheelchair ramps, that works for moms with strollers or parents with strollers. You know, If you think about people with English as a second language, if you write in simple plain language, which the federal government is insisting on through the new Accessible Canada Act, everyone can understand that information. Why do we need to write at a grade 12 level when our newspaper is written at a grade six to eight level? So I think it's for a lot of people when they first recognize it is to reach out to the communities that they didn't know that maybe can't access their information or services and try and understand from their perspective. Because even for myself, I don't experience things the way other people do. So I think having the conversation and and not to be afraid of accessibility. We talk about that on our own podcast is not to be afraid of it. It's a learning opportunity. I love that approach. And I'm going to bring up a conversation that Robin and I had yesterday with someone. And, you know, one of the things we talked about was, and I think this maybe relates back to what you just said, reframing things as you don't have to, you get to. So in this Mm -hmm. case, like, it's not that you have to give accessibility, you get to give accessibility to some of these people who may not otherwise have it. So again, I'm thinking here about about what we're talking about, and I'm I'm trying to put myself in and, and understand again what you don't know what you don't know. So I'm learning a lot here. So thanks for sharing all that so far. Yeah, for sure. The first time it was brought up to me, I was appalled that I didn't know. But there are always going to be people that it doesn't matter to them. So we really do lead with education and empathy. We don't talk so much about the litigation. It's certainly worse in the U.S., but there are people that legally have to be compliant and those that don't have to. But we don't want people to just go based on clicking checkboxes, you know? It's really about everyone being able to live independently. I really value having conversations like this and introductions to people like you because we had such a great conversation when we first chatted And I love when we can come on and someone can be open and honest and share information because I think it's very easy. And Al, I think you'd agree. It's very easy for us to go through our lives and not even give this a second thought. And I love that you said, 
you know, there's nothing wrong with that. What you don't know, you don't know. But I think it also gives pause to a lot of people to think there's a lot that I have to be grateful for. There's a lot of people out there who have bigger challenges than I do. And I love that we're having this conversation that it does give pause for people to think, oh, there are other people that are struggling with things. And I really should be aware of that. And I think further to that point, because when I look at the audience makeup of our podcast, there's a lot of people in the HR space. There's a lot of entrepreneurs. There's a lot of business owners. And again, I think I would be guilty of it, Jolene. I'm not out there in the workplace necessarily thinking about, oh, well, then my next employee, maybe they're going to you know, have a disability. But I think it's something that should be brought to the forefront. And I'd love to hear your opinion because you live that in your own company. Everyone, I think you had said everyone at your company has a disability of some sort. But why should other people out there, other business leaders, considering hiring people with disabilities? I think the biggest stigma, and I mean, I've been self-employed for 20 years, is that people with disabilities can't do what other people can do. There's the societal stigma that's been happening for many, many years that that community is less than or it's expensive to a company because they may have to accommodate them or provide additional benefits or what have you. But the truth is, Everybody has got something in their life and maybe you don't identify quote unquote as disabled, but you have mental health issues that you're hiding from somebody. That's no different than someone being in a wheelchair in many ways for what that's going to cost a company. Statistically, people in disabled community, and I use disabled because it's not a bad word. We don't think of that as a bad word. We don't talk about, you know, differently abled or anything like that. We all are capable of doing things in our own way, whether we have quote unquote, like I said, disabilities or not. But I think for me, realizing that it's such an underemployed statistic is that you may realize that you'll have more dedicated employees as well, that they're treated equally, that they're treated with dignity and having the opportunity. COVID certainly showed a lot of changes with going to the virtual workforce We were already doing that. I was doing that for two years before COVID hit because of my own disability. I had chronic pain. I have something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is connective tissue based. So when COVID hit, I was like, this is amazing because all of a sudden, all my clients are like, cool, let's meet online. Instead of me having the stress of going to meet them or traveling to Toronto, because I live outside of Toronto, like there's just so many benefits you can look at. So I think employers really need to get rid of the societal norms or like the things that we've thought so negatively about for so many years. There's a lot of people living in poverty because of these reasons, and you could have a fantastic workforce ahead of you. I'm very glad you brought up the point about mental health as well, especially as we all live through COVID. And I've had people, and I'm generalizing, but a lot of males, bravado, oh, that didn't affect me at all. And I'm sorry, I don't care who you are. I got to call BS. I mean, you know, myself included for the first time, I experienced anxiety that I'd never experienced before because, you know, again, and and we've talked about this with respect to work, especially in our guests that have been in the HR, there was no playbook, right, for what we worked through. And I was like you when COVID hit and I thought, oh, I can work remotely and people I can meet online. And all of a sudden, instead of, you know, having two appointments a day and driving into Toronto, I can have three or four in it. So I, I saw the positive in that. But I think you're right. I think there's a lot of opportunity 
for business leaders to find really valuable people out there in the workspace because everyone, every business owner I talk to right now is struggling to find really good people. And if you're ignoring a certain percentage of the population, I mean, that's just going to hurt your organization. So I'm glad we're talking about that. It's probably higher from COVID with long-term COVID, things like that. But in 2017, it was 22% of the Canadian population willingly identified as having a disability. So you can imagine that's probably much higher. I won't lie. When I got sick, it took me almost two years to actually say, yeah, I have a disability. And then being that it's primarily invisible most of the time to someone looking in, you know, you feel like you're lying. There's just so much stigma attached to that. But I thrived in COVID and a lot of people in the disability community honestly did, even those that were working and some that weren't. Not all, I can't speak for all. I've spoken to a very small, minute few, but all of a sudden we went, yeah, look, this is how we live our lives. This is how we can still do things. We can still be productive, but it was a very interesting perspective to see all different areas that I had spoken to. But statistically, it's really huge unemployed chunk of the market and lots of people with massive amounts of education. We've had probably hundreds in just a few years apply to us and said, oh my gosh, I've been looking for an employer like you that I can willingly talk about my disability or my needs or accommodations and they don't feel judged or that I won't get the job. We need to have that transparency. People shouldn't be ashamed of who they are. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. We just have to Think about changing our own HR rules or our own accommodation rules within our own organizations. I owned another business for 15 years, and I can tell you, I operated like many business owners do. You had to be there on time. You couldn't be late. You weren't allowed to take business days off or, oh, great, they're not being productive because they're having terrible mental health issues. Well, it happened to me, and so I completely have changed how I look at that. Jolene, you mentioned 22%, I think you said, of people, and I'm not sure if that's the workforce or whatever, but identify as you know having some sort of disability. Do you have any statistics around what the employment or unemployment rate amongst people with disabilities is and or has that changed at all because of COVID? Like you said, in COVID, people with disabilities kind of thrived. Yeah, I don't know that stat offhand, but we do do some work with different organizations that help people with disabilities gain employment. But I have been told that the statistics have increased. The one that I gave you, the 22%, that's actually an average of Canadians as a whole. That's not people of certain if they're employed or not, but that's population as a whole. And again, that was 2017 because that's Canada's a bit behind. But I have been told that there has been a rise in employment opportunities for people with disabilities. Because I'm not in that sector, I don't have the stats, but I could certainly, if somebody wants them, I can get them. But at least from what I'm hearing, things are trending in the right direction. I hear and see a lot more on LinkedIn, especially. We see a lot more effort from companies with what people are calling their DE&I policy. So diversity, equity, and inclusion. I like to make sure that you add accessibility in there because that doesn't necessarily mean that you're integrating accessibility. So there's that for sure. So that leads me to my next question then. And if someone does, whether it's an employer, an HR leader, business owner, whatever, how do people learn more about accessibility and inclusion? What would your thoughts be around that? As far as digital accessibility, 
Or are you talking just in as a whole? As a whole. You can talk about digital accessibility if you want, but even as a whole. That's, I mean, that's more what my space is on education. So certainly we've started an academy. So we train people now on digital accessibility for best practices in marketing. But there's lots of different resources out there. I think start typing in accessibility. There are, if you look up the AODA Act for Ontario. So again, that's the Accessibility Fund Act. Ontarians with Disability Act. There's also the Accessible Canada Act to look at that starting for federally regulated organizations. There's a lot of information there to cover, but there are probably easier sites to understand as well. But I think the biggest thing is that the general population, if they don't know about it, is to start thinking like it and to remember that it can happen to you at any time. Most of us have broken an appendage at some point in our life that's a temporary disability. And we are all aging. And disabilities come tenfold when you reach, you know, certain ages where your mobility is affected. And even seniors, when it's designed better, they can interact with it better. So if it's easier and less complicated, even seniors benefit from that. So when we talk about the disability community, that includes seniors, there's lots of different segments within that population. Well, that's some good advice and appreciate you sharing that. And I think you've brought to the forefront, a again, something that I had personally never really thought about that much. And I'm sure there's probably lots of other people that will be in the same boat and you've been able to shed a lot of light on this today. So thank you for that. Happy to share. Thanks for asking me to share that information. Well, you know, lately what I've been asking or Al's been asking a signature question, I always look forward to the answers. And again, I think with yours, as we've chatted about here today, You may have already answered this question, but I think it's worthwhile asking anyway, because you might have something else entirely different to say. So, Al, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, I agree. What you've shared with us today is already planting some trees, but I'll ask you the question and here it goes. A society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? I think we've actually done quite a bit as an organization We are told we are Canada's first that are doing what we're doing. So I think we're trying to develop something that can be a legacy that people can learn from as a company. As I mentioned, we started an academy with training. So rather than just trying to bring in clients and do it for them, but not share the knowledge that we've learned is that we've decided to share that knowledge. So we have the Academy, Accessibility Academy that has training for other people in our industry because it's not a mainstay. So I think that's really, for me, very important because then we can change other people's perspectives and outlooks. Yeah, that's great. I, I really appreciate that. And again, I have learned a lot today and I will look at things through a different lens now, thanks to this conversation. So I really appreciate that. It's lovely. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. And if you know Al, when Al says he will give something some thought, he definitely will. Just don't expect to hear about it in the next day or two, because I've learned working with Al over the last 18 years, he really does take time to think about these things. So I would not be surprised in four weeks time in one of our partners meetings that Al brings up, say, hey, remember that conversation that we had with Jolene? I think we should do this within our own organization. So Jolene, when that happens, I'm going to reach out to you and just let you know. But I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story and your journey along the way. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Accessibrand? They can either email me, so jolene at accessibrand.com 
or LinkedIn is great. I have a lot of connections on there as well. Same name, Jolene McDonald, not McDonald like Al. Um, <laughs> I'm always happy to connect, uh, answer questions whenever. But like you said, once you know, it's hard to ignore. So Thanks so much, Jolene. Well, that does it for today's episode. As you can tell, we really enjoyed this conversation. We hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. And remember, success leaves clues. Thank you.